Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Hello and welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I am Meredith Bond and I am here with the lovely... I'm Prue Warren. And Prue, we were just discussing what we were going to talk about today. And then as I was speaking our intro, I remembered something vitally important. Excellent. Share. Share with the class. Yesterday, you just released a book. I did. I did. I now have two books in print. Thank you very much. Thank you very okay. much. Now, please tell our audience all about it. Please, please, please. <laughs> it's so funny because actually what happens is I released the book and then nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. And lovely Mindy Klasky, my dear friend and other mentor said, what are you doing to celebrate? You're going out to dinner. What are you doing? I said, nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. She said, okay, we're going to lunch. And she went, went to lunch with me with Meg Napier. Uh, and Meg brought me a, a tiara. And a, <laughs> said, it was very cute. It was really very That's sweet. Wonderful. But really, book, re- book release day is tremendously anticlimactic. I spend all this time and energy getting ready for the release. And then here's what happens. Nothing. I know. <laughs> so I appreciate your noting the release of Dash and the Moon Glow Mystic, um, because this is pretty much it. You're looking at it. Here we are. So now it'll just be running ads. And I'm going to run. Listen, tell me what you think of this plan. Because I'm writing a series and all four of them will be out by the middle of November. I am running ads for the first in the series, Sin, Sin of the Peanut Butter Cup except for the two weeks of the launch. And when I'm launching, uh, I'm doing ads for two weeks for the book that launches, but most of the time I'm doing ads for sin because I want people to read the first in the series and then move, move through. Is that right? That sounds good? perfect. That sounds great. But you must tell us what Dash is about. Come on. <laughs> we want the gory details, Prue. Make us want to buy the book. All right, I will. I'll make you want to buy the book. Uh, Dash was the extremely capable and competent FBI partner of the hero from Sin and the Peanut Butter Cup. And I decided he looked like Timothy Oliphant and wanted to write a story for him because yum. So I wanted to put Dash in a position where he was no longer quite so competent. So he could be sort of off balance. So he's investigating a counterfeiting ring at a dude ranch in Wyoming. He's a city boy. He's being taken out to the country, the serious country. And at the dude ranch in Wyoming is a convention of so-called psychics, really con men, who are conning all the people who have come to Prophecy Week. So he gets involved in counterfeiters and con men and bears and square dancing and this guy who is really very, very capable in an urban environment is just completely off balance. And he falls in love with one of the, one of the mystics. 
uh, and this it's their story and how they solve the case. So one click so now. much fun. <laughs> so you can buy it, dear friends. You can buy it. It is available on Amazon. Oh, Amazon, Apple, Kobo, Barnes and Noble for Nook, and Smashwords. I've kind of given up on I've given up on all kinds of print platforms. I mean, uh, publishing platforms. We'll discuss it on another day, but they're driving me up the wall. So okay. available on the big five. So there. Good. Now today we're not discussing the release of rom-coms. Really, our official topic is the elements that make up a Regency romance, which is, man, that is your wheelhouse. That is where <laughs> you live, girl. Every single day I live in the Regency. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how many people have asked me whether I would actually like to go back and live in the Regency. And you know what my answer is. No friggin' no. way, babe. <laughs> way. I need my internet. I need my flush toilets. I need exactly. air <laughs> <laughs> And I don't like the smell of horse manure. Horse manure. Oh, I think horse manure's got a great smell. However, I do like the right to vote. I do like the right <laughs> to uh, be regarded as a human. Yeah, yes. this is about, especially for women. But the thing that I think is interesting is people use the phrase regency very casually. But in fact, there's a historical reason for what the regency is. Right. Okay. So technically, the regency. Oh, sorry. So technically, the regency spanned from 1811 to 1820, when King George III was officially declared insane. Right. Um, he was declared unfit to rule. Uh, he. It's now believed that he was actually bipolar. Oh, I didn't realize that. I yes. thought it was that he had it kind of lost the Americas and made people angry. But you think he really was? He really uh, was bipolar because he would become manic and he would literally he ran around the palace naked, screaming at the top of his lungs uh, wow. because he was just so manic. And then he would fall into fits of depression. Right. And they had no idea what was wrong with their king. Right. And, oh, the, uh, medicine at that time was just so screwed up. Um, <laughs> doctors were called in. They conjured, they, they conjectured that the symptoms came from, quote, unquote, the force of a humor, which was beginning to show itself in the legs when the king's imprudence drove it from thence to the bowels. Wow. Unquote. Wow. Okay, so this so to repel this humor and draw it down into his legs, they put him into hot baths, they smothered him in blankets, they burned the soles of his feet. Oh my god. And when blisters erupted and the man was in serious pain and trying to tear off his bandages, the doctor said, oh, the poor man, he's really insane. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. So, so, poor guy. The poor they guy. were trying to, to help him, but they just made it worse. Well, you know, I think that's it's so interesting. I read, uh, God, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a... Uh, some doctor wrote a history of cancer, which was just astonishing. So fascinating. 
uh, and about the ways that people thought treatment should occur and the advancements that we've made, that their day will come when we think of chemotherapy as being just as brutal on the body as burning the soles of King George's feet in order to make him sane again. It's just so interesting. The world we're living in now, we think we're so technologically advanced. Who knows what the next 10 or 20 years will bring? I, I'm, I feel very bad for King George. I'm sure they gave him the most modern treatment they had available. Oh, absolutely. Fascinating. So while he was in the state of incapacity, his so, son was, right. Yes. His son was, uh, was named the regent. So he was in charge of running the country. He actually had a falling out with his mother, Queen Charlotte, before that, because she felt she should be the regent. Ah. Um, it ultimately was decided by Parliament that Charlotte would be in charge of her husband, the king, and his consecutor and his, his voice, but the prince would be in charge of the country. So they mm -hmm. split the duties. He was the heir. Because he, he was the heir. He was kind of a libertine, wasn't he? Oh, we're going to get into that. Promise. <laughs> Promise. <laughs> the thing is, is that it, despite the fact that the prince was only regent from 1811, books that are labeled the Regency era actually can be as early as 1795. Wow. Go as late as 1837 when Victoria became queen. Ah, so anywhere from the late Georgian period, 1795, through Victoria, 1837, those books are labeled Regency Romance. And do you think that that is appropriate or do you prefer just the period of the Regency? No, I think it's entirely appropriate because it's more a feeling of the era than it is the actual Good. legal regents. Good. Okay. Time. Yes. All right. Um, and actually, even from from 1795, kind of mostly through more closer to 1800, the styles of dresses that the women wore, that the waistline climbed up to just below the bosom. And right. so what we think of as regency gowns, which are so important to a Regency romance, right. did actually begin that early and last pretty late. Uh, the, the waistline didn't drop until really much later. I, can, I really dig that reason for saying this could be considered Regency because there are cultural aspects of the period that really do define what we're expecting. Exactly. And those, those very... Those very um, Emma Thompson movie uh, gowns. That's that's how you get to Regency. So right. I love I love that reason. I love that reason. Okay, so I'm with you. Okay, and the other huge thing, of course, that was going on at that time was the Napoleonic War. Right. Officially, the Napoleonic War began in 1803 and lasted until 1815, Waterloo. But actually, it began the first uh, coalition war against France, actually began in 1792. Oh, wow. Um, and that was when the Austrian Empire and the Prussians were fighting against France. And that ended with the Treaty of Basel 
which is uh, the basis of one of my short stories <laughs> or ah. novellas. <laughs> There you go. Because it was a really cool treaty. It was uh, it was negotiated uh, in Basel, Switzerland, which is a lovely town. I have been there. And then they the, they negotiated this treaty, and then the French didn't sign it, and they didn't sign it for days until suddenly at midnight one night they signed it, and nobody knows why. So of course I had to create a story as to why. Nice. <laughs> nice. So every time we're turning around, we're expanding the definition of Regency. We started with 1811, and now we're back to 1795, and now we're at 1792. Right. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, And of course, also during the Regency, there was major manufacturing advances. Um, There were workers' rights. There were child labor laws. There was uh, anti-slavery laws being passed. There was a, a mini renaissance of culture and refinement um, going on, so much going on. And then on top of all of this fantastic advancement, there was the prince. Yes, the prince, Prinny. The prince, dear Prinny. He <laughs> loved to party. He <laughs> loved clothes and he was fat. Um, he loved to eat. He loved to go to the theater and he loved actors and actresses and poets and art. And he was just a cultural phenomenon in and of himself. (laughs) He really defined society and what the prince did. Everybody who could afford to followed. Right. Right. And so it was just an era of massive spending and dances and balls and dinner parties. The prince held one dinner party where they made a special table just for the dinner party with a river going down the center of the table, which they stocked with fish. (laughs) My God, that's so fabulous. (laughs) I want to see. Did he post pictures on Instagram? I mean, I want to see. (laughs) No. (laughs) And of course, also, it was a period of fantastic poetry. Byron, Wadsworth, Keats, Blake. They were all publishing at that time. Wow. Wow. So you had so much going on. It was just incredible. And the first steam-powered press happened. Ta-da! Here we come into why you and I exist today. Exactly. And so read. Books became really easy to print and to read. There were something called silver fork novels filled (laughs) with the tales of the rich and famous. Silver fork novels. Oh, I see, Dick. Isn't that great? You know, it's funny, given that the current craze today in romance novels is for billionaire stories. Yes. Right? I mean, the more things change, the more they say the same. Silver fork. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of course, there was Jane Austen. Of course. Who was, was a contemporary novelist. Wow. There was Mary Shelley. There was uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley, Sir Walter Scott, 
Maria Edgeworth, who was writing her gothic romances. Wow. I didn't realize all of this was Regency period. These were all Regency. So the Regency was such a rich period of time. It's no wonder we love to read about it and write about it. I'm I'm astonished by this. I didn't realize that we're in this little English Renaissance period. I've read Regency since my mother put Georgette Hare in my hand, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like she was my, she was my gateway drug. Um, The thing that defined it for me was the incredible rules that were required of the Tong. If you were high society, you were bound by some serious rules. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But what Georgette Hare especially is well known for is her witty repartee. Absolutely. That's true. Very witty. Very witty. Her phrasing, diamond of the first waters. Handsomely yes. over the books. Uh, I, 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 yeah, yeah, I agree with you. She created a whole subgenre. She's she created the what's known as Regency cant. Do you, um, you think which is the she, slang? Do you think she created it? Because I'm like she created of, a lot of it. One of the things that um, my mother and I just adored, and I was you know twelve, was the concept of an ape leader. A woman who was unmarried was doomed to walk through hell leading an ape by the hand, right? I mean, that was the that was the hell of being unmarried in the Regency period. There's no way she made that up. That surely is contemporary. I have an OED, um, right? You can look it up. I can look it up because there there is actually a book of Regency Camp that was published then so that people would know. There you go. There you go. I think that she was a tremendous researcher. If you think that she's creating them. Also made up a lot of words herself. Really awesome. She really did. Because um, I forget who it was, but there was a famous author who Georgette Hare accused of plagiarizing her. Ah, because he used some of her phrases. Because she used some of her phrases. Oh. And so to make sure that other writers who were copying her in writing Regency romance did their own research, (laughs) if somebody used a phrase that she had created, she would know that they were stealing her work. (laughs) So she created a lot. Okay. All right. But there comes a point where if, if you read the greatest Regency author, if you read Georgette Hare and you take up the phrase, an ape leader or a blue stocking or whatever, and you begin to use that phrase, uh, it, it, there comes a moment when it stops being stealing and starts being living in the world she created. Yes. yes. Are there any I examples agree. you know of? What, are, what, are her, what were her tells? Oh, I cannot tell you because I... I don't have that at hand. Right. That's um, all right. Don't worry. And, and everything that she created seems to have entered so gracefully into the Regency romance world that why, why clarify? Because oh. it was so already outrageous, the slang. Right. You know, I'm going to bet you a monkey. What the hell? Not <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually a monkey. It's a hundred pounds. Huh? Oh, see, I didn't if you know. bet somebody a pony, it's 25 pounds. 
a pony's not worth as much as a monkey, but you can ride yeah. a pony handsomely <laughs> over the bricks. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and maybe it's because we share the roots of a common language, but English, like there's the rhyming, the right. cockney rhyming insults uh, that just don't make any sense to anybody unless you were born on that side of the ocean. Uh, some of some of these some of these tendencies are perverse to the American ear. Yes. What are you doing, a monkey? I'll bet you a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I think "diamond of the first water" was, in fact, a, a phrase at the time. There, you, I bet it was wow, such a good phrase. Such a yeah. good phrase. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, other famous authors who write in the Regency include Patrick O'Brien. Who wrote Master and Commander? Sure. Uh, Bernard oh, Conwell. Oh this is this is Horatio Hornblower, right? Yes. My God, I well, never Horatio Hornblower was C.S. Forrester. Was he the same time period? Yes. My God. Okay, so you've got Georgia Hare and Horatio Hornblower having yes. a little. So they're 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 contemporaries. Yes. Never put it together. Thank you very much, yeah. Mary. And so is Richard Sharp, who was uh, a character by Bernard Cornwell. He was uh, a rifleman in the British Army, supposedly. Oh, all right. So cool. (laughs) And what's amazing about Georgette Hare, Uh her first book was The Black Moth, and Uh it was printed in 1921, (laughs) and it has not been out of print since. Oh, God. How many years is that? That's a hundred years. That's wild. 1921. It is now 2021. That book has not been out of print for 100 years. Isn't that, um, I mean, I don't even, I don't even pretend to aspire to such a thing. (laughs) But I, I, I do think that this is probably like when you hear a greatest hits album and think, oh, that's. That's just you're silly for buying greatest hits. You got to go in deep on a band, man. But it's there's a reason why greatest hits sell. There's a reason why Georgia Hayer's The Black Moth has never been out of print in a century. And if anyone listening has not experienced the charm and wit of Georgia Hayer, honey, treat yourself. Go and read any of them yeah. for your joy. You don't have to be a Regency lover to admire the way that woman put together a story and her wit, her charm, but they're delightful. Would you I don't think I read them all in my youth. I don't remember the black moth. I loved the grand Sophie. I love the Misha. Um, the black moth doesn't sit in my brain. Do you have favorites? The black moth was one of her Georgian romances. Mm-hmm. So it was one of the earlier ones. My first Georgette Hare was Friday's child, which I Friday's loved. Yeah, yeah. And actually, over the summer, I reread The Tollgate, which was just so lovely, so that's, wonderful. That's so good. That's so nice. My mother, after reading them all her, I mean, literally all her life, she was born in 1935, so, or 1925. I don't remember where she was born, but she could have literally been reading Georgette all her life. On her deathbed, she was reading, she was reading a Georgette Hare novel because she was in a world that was completely comfortable to her. That was a world that was so familiar to her that it had become so ingrained 
in what made her the person she was, these books have such power. Your books, they have power to get into someone's soul. That's really exciting. It's it's very, uh, very powerful. Who do you, other than you, Meredith, because your books are, are lovely. uh, Who do you love for Regency author these days? I knew you were going to ask me this. And so I actually made up a list because I'm terrible with names. Um, okay. My current favorites are Sarah McLean. Yes. Lovely. Who writes fantastic, fantastic books. So interesting. Um, Mary Jo Putney, who is going oh. to be a guest on this podcast soon. We are so excited. Um, Grace Burroughs, who was a guest on this podcast. I'm crazy about her now. Crazy about her. I was before, but now even more. Yes. Uh, Galen Foley. She writes fantastic books, and she has a series based in India, which is wonderful. Ooh, I bet that's good. I'm sorry. Say the name again so I can write it down. Galen Foley. G-A-E-L-E-N is her first name, and her last name is F-O-L-E-Y. Okay, Holy. got it, got it, got it. Courtney Milan writes amazing, amazing books. I've read Beautiful. Some Lovely, yep, yep. I love Aubrey Wynn. She writes um, both regular uh, Regency, but mostly Scottish Regency. Nice. And now Aubrey Wynn, is that uh, Chris Hall? That is Chris Hall. So we've had another great author on the podcast. Really digging this, man. We are brushing our... <laughs> greatness okay <laughs> um erica ridley also writes fantastic books and she is the sweetest kindest author she i was in a real funk oh like a year and a half ago with my marketing and i posted something on the pan loop of the romance writers of america saying i've tried absolutely everything and i don't know what else to do my books aren't selling and she emailed me privately and said, okay, this is what you have to do. Oh, my God. Okay. What and she, she was so sweet. So what sweet. She, she, she said, um, hit all of the, the newsletters, all of, you know, all of the, like, the fussy librarian and all of the right. free booksy and, and so right, on. Right, she said, just, right. just keep hitting those. Just keep hitting those. And she was so sweet. And she was like, anytime you need a boost, anytime you need some help, just give me a call. Just Who was this email? Erica Ridley. Erica Ridley. When we we need to read her to support just that kind of kindness. I know. I buy all of her books yeah. because she is just such a sweet and wonderful person. That's good. That's excellent. That's excellent. Here's here's the one. The only one of mine that you haven't said is the book that I leave sitting. Oh, up, yes. Prop up my computer. It's always here. I love Meredith Duran. Mm-hmm. I love she also has a regency set in India. Oh, she does. See, there's more here than I that I need to get to. So that's outstanding. Actually, that's it was very, very strange because she has a regency set in India where the hero's name is first name is Julian. And it came out soon after my book, An Exotic Air which is set in India with a hero named Julian. <laughs> Have anyone ever seen them together? Perhaps it's the same guy having two different adventures. Well, my Julian is from Calcutta and hers is from New Delhi. So, Oh, well then, see. <laughs> <laughs> I 
wrote that. It's very funny. <laughs> All right. So how much research do you do? I mean, at this point, you've written 20 books set in a Regency period. You must not More, need to do but- a lot. No, I do. Re- I do research every single day, just about, <laughs> because there is always some minute detail that I need to know more about. I mean, mm-hmm. it's such an incredible time period that, and I like to touch on so many different topics when I write a book, and so. I was researching poisons the other day. I was researching. I was yesterday. I was watching Prince Charles's investiture, <laughs> which thank goodness is on video. <laughs> thank goodness. Was there was there a table with a pond in the middle of it? <laughs> well, here's my question for you, for specifically for people who are at Regencies, but really for anybody who who was doing research, what do you consider a valid source? Where do you go? How do you find your research? Is it simply the rabbit hole of Google? Yeah, um, there are a lot of Regency authors who do primary research. And um, every now and then I will dip down into primary research. But for the most part, I rely on other people's primary research. Because There are so many blog posts out there that cover so much information that I I use them. I read the blog. I do a Google search and it comes up with all of the wonderful blog posts that other people have written based on original research and extensive knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the one Regency that I wrote, I bought a... Uh, someone had reprinted an 1815 guide to how young ladies were supposed to behave. Mm-hmm. And it was very hard to read. It was extremely hard to read. And it was filled with things that were not going to interest a modern reader. I mean, even at all, like, here's the recipe for skin whitener. I'm like, I don't, I don't need to know that. I mean, you, you put lead on your face. I'm, I'm not sharing that fact, but I, I definitely see why. Uh, primary source materials really take up some time. It takes a lot of time. If you can find a blog um, that it's just, it's just much easier. You're holding up something. I am holding up a book. It is the, the, I, it's a thesaurus of Regency slang and idiomatic phrases. Okay. This is two inches thick, maybe three. And it's, you know, five by eight and it's just, the entire book is just slang. Five and by eight, that's half by 11. Uh, eight and a half by 11, sorry. Okay, so uh, I use this <laughs> a lot. Open it randomly and give us a phrase. Just a random, a random, close your eyes and stab. Here we go. Close your eyes and stab. Let's see. Super fine. <laughs> a sort of dandy. I was super fine because of the super fine cloth they made their coats out of. Yeah, to blow a cloud. What's that mean? Smoking. To smoke. To smoke. To smoke. To <laughs> That's very entertaining. You could get lost in that, huh? You could and totally I bet, get lost in this. Yes, I bet it suggests things to you. If you get if you get bored, you could leaf through it and go, oh, I could write about that. That's a good phrase. I'll use that. Yeah, what's very interesting is that it tells you when it was in the OED, when the word or phrase was listed in the OED, 
and whether it's actually accurate and contemporary. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. And I have so many books, so many books of research that I have read and that I still refer to. I don't have a lot of them here with me in Kiev, but I was doing some research into them uh, over the summer and I just, I was just photographing pages out of my own book, <laughs> out of these books. So that That's really fun. Do you think that it's because there's more, I mean, why, why aren't there more Georgian romances? I mean, was it simply that things got richer and more ornate and more entertaining during the Regency period? Um, I think it's partly that things were more entertaining during the Regency. It's also partly the fashion. Because during the Georgian period, men wore lace and high heels. And nobody wants to read about this masculine, manly hero wearing lace and high heels. That's right. So it's it's our chosen societal norms that are dictating what we like in our histories. Yes. So there are more Victorian romances than there are Georgian romances. <laughs> That's pretty fascinating. That's pretty fascinating. I'm I'm interested that our our uh, what we think of as um, sexy or interesting is is defining the historicals we read. All right. Yeah. That's you, you have fascinated me. <laughs> Next week, Meredith, we're going to talk about, we're going to revisit newsletters, especially in light of Apple's recent update and how that affects how you can um, judge the participation rate of your of your subscribers. Yes. So that's next, next week's topic. That's going to be a fascinating topic. I can't wait to discuss that because <laughs> that affects us all. It affects us all, but I also think there's going to be a whole up, whole, I don't know. We're going to have to figure it out. There's going to have to be some uh, some water under the bridge until that really shakes out. But mm-hmm. yeah, we can just let's let's discuss it um, and ask people to rate us on their podcast uh, wherever they listen. Rate yeah. us and comment and join the Discord server uh, and uh, tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend, and then tell some more friends and ask them to tell some friends. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We like a big party here at the Writer's Block Party Podcast. Everybody bring a drink. (laughs) Everybody bring a drink. Bring a drink. Bring a friend. Bring a pen. Let's write something. (laughs) Thank you, Meredith. You're fascinating as always. Thank you, Prue. And good luck with your release. Thank you. Talk to you next week. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. Thank you.